Hello everybody out there, this is the Embers Collective and this is podcast number nine. My name is Nell Phoenix and I am going to tell you a story. Are you ready? Here we go. Way back at the beginning of time, you know that the, the world was not as we know it today. People hadn't even been thought of, and they had not been created. The only thing on this earth were the vices and the virtues. We know what the virtues are. Trust. Kindness. Compassion. And the vices, we know what the vices are. The vices are all the fun stuff. There were the vices and the virtues, and they had no one to play with. They kicked their heels, and they groaned. They scratched their heads. What are we here to do? They said. And then one bright spark. Ingenuity. He stuck up his hand and he said, I know what we should do. I've got a great idea. Do you know what I saw? I saw a garden. Oh, it was beautiful. Come on, everyone. Line yourselves up. We're going to go. I said, line yourselves up. We're going to go. And they looked at each other and they said, well, it better be good. It better not be boring. And ingenuity said, I'll lead the way. And so they lined themselves up, one behind the other. They got into line. They straightened themselves off and off they went, shuffling their feet along. Quick time, quick time, said Ingenuity. Let's get there fast. It's going to be fun. Huh. Well, it better be said the vices. Oh, and then they arrived. They arrived in the garden. You know, there was down on the ground green grass. Well, like you'd expect. And there at the sides in the flower beds you know what there was? Yep, flowers. Growing, beautiful, smelling. Gorgeous, gently swaying in a playful breeze. And do you know what it was? Yeah, you do. You know what a garden looks like. There were trees, strong branches, fruits dangling. And everyone strolled around, put their bare feet into the moist grass, smelt the flowers leaned up against the trees, and then one said, Could get boring. 
hanging about in a garden. And then playfulness said, no, it's not boring. Come on, everyone, gather together, let's play a game. Come on, let's play that game. Where the rules of the game are in the title, you know the one, of course you do. No, not that one, you know the one. The rules of the game are in the title, you know. And somebody whispered, which one, which one does she mean? What do you mean, which one? That one, no, this one. Hide and seek. Madness stepped forward and his hair was wild and his eyes were rolling in his head and his cheeks were sunken. And he said, OK, everyone, you hide, I'm going to count. And he turned his back on everyone and he leaned his forehead up against the bark of a tree and he started to count. He counted one, six, three, Twelve! Because he was completely mad. Everybody ran. This way and that way around the garden looking for some places to hide. Where would they hide? Comfort was the first to decide. Comfort looked up into that blue sky, saw a fluffy white cloud up there and she took a breath. <sighs> And she breathed out. And as she did, she rose up into the air, rose up through the warm air, swam up through the gentle breezes, and she lay herself down on the cloud. And she fell asleep. And Joy looked up. Joy looked up and saw comfort on the cloud. Joy gasped. Ha! And she rose up. And there was the moon hanging in the sky. She hooked her hand over the lip of the moon. And she swung there. Side. around he saw a hollow tree and he thought mm -mm, that'll do me and he went over to the hollow tree oh greed was fat and he squeezed himself inside that hollow tree and from inside he could reach out his hands he could pluck all the fruits from the branches he could like pluck the berries from the bushes and the roots of growing in the ground and he could stuff his face and he stuffed his face and he shoved in that food and it dribbled from his mouth and inside that tree he got fatter and fatter and fatter until his white shiny flesh was squeezing out through the cracks in that tree and the bark of the tree was creaking and groaning and fat was oozing out. And in that garden, in that garden, round the edges of that garden came treachery. Treachery was looking for somewhere secret to hide. 
that maybe had happened the night before along came passion and she was looking for somewhere to hide (laughs) she was dragging her feet through the long wet grasses and she was thinking so nice (laughs) moist it kind of suits me and then she saw there was a crack in the ground and she bent down and she pushed her fingers into the crack of the ground and she could feel heat coming up through the crack in the ground she could feel all fiery heat and even as she pushed her hand down in through that crack she could feel a little bead of sweat upon her brow and she thought "Mm, she widened that gap because she was strong and passion lowered herself down into the fiery heat of the earth. Madness! With his forehead still against that bark of the tree, he was still counting! Where had he got to? 70, 82, 69, 90, 94, 97. All the vices and the virtues they had hidden, all except one. One was going this way and that way across that garden looking for somewhere, looking for somewhere to hide. Was it a vice or a virtue? It was indecisive. Looking for somewhere to hide was love. Love went to one corner of the garden and thought, will I hide here? Is this the place I am supposed to be? Oh, love can be indecisive. Love went to another corner of the garden, looked and and thought, oh, here? Am I supposed to be here? Love can be very hard to hide. But madness was still counting. 96, 99, 99, coming, ready, all. Love needed somewhere to hide. Love looked, 
and Love saw this huge rose bush with beautiful great blooms, full blooming, scent rising, petals curled, colour rich and red. Oh, Love looked at it. Smell the sweetness of the flower. Oh, thought love, that's the place for me. Love saw the smooth stems of the roses and love thought, that is for me. Love saw the thorns, the prickles on the stem. Oh, thought love, that's for me. Coming ready or not. Love leapt up, feet first, jumped into the center of the rose bush, and Magnus, <laughs> Magnus turned around and coming to get you. Here I come. Tripped because laziness that I forgot to tell you about earlier. Laziness dressed in green had just laid himself out on the grass. Madness tripped. Are you crazy? said Madness. What did you lie yourself there for? Oh, said laziness. <laughs> Who cares? Madness turned around and saw greed oozing out of the tree. And he went up and he pinched the fat flesh as it oozed out of the cracks. And he said, come on, laziness, I'm going to drag you out. And he dragged him out by his flabby white flesh. And he laughed and he looked up looked up because he could hear in the sky gentle snoring madness called up comfort wake up Joy, I see you. Treachery, I hear you rustling in the leaves. And passion, we can hear your groans. We can hear your moans. What are you doing? What the f- What? Get out of there. Oh, and passion came up through the crack in the ground. She said, oh, covered in sweat. So you found me, but oh, I had a hell of a time down there. They all looked around. Someone was missing. Madness said, I see you all. Someone is not here, is not here, and I know who it is. Where is love? 
and then envy. Envy came from the side of the garden. Envy had kept the paths at the edges. Envy came sidling sideways up to madness and cocked his head on the one way and twisted his mouth up because envy, you know, always speaks from the side of his mouth. And he went close up to madness's ear and said, I know where love is. Love is in the rose bush. And madness said, what? What are you saying? Love is in the rusbush. In the, in the rusbush? No, not in the rusbush. In the rusbush. That's what I said. You said in the rusbush. No, there. Look, there. Can't you see him? In the rusbush. Madness. Turned around, walked towards the rose bush and looked, peered into the rose bush. But those great blooms, those great red roses, they played the game. They put their heads together and they laughed, they laughed. And they wouldn't let madness see love. Madness turned away and said, I see nothing in that rose bush. And then he looked and he saw leaning up against a tree, there was a garden fork. A garden fork with a wooden handle and sharp iron tines. And he picked it up, he picked it up by the wooden handle. And he walked over to the rose bush and he looked at Envy and he said, There is no one in the rose bush. And he pushed the fork into the base of the rose bush and inside that rose bush love lifted one foot then the other and put his hand over his mouth so he wouldn't laugh and madness pulled out the fork he said there is no one in the rose bush and he thrust it in at waist height and inside the rose bush, love just sucked in his belly and moved away from the sharp tines. And he smiled, he put his hands over his mouth so that he wouldn't laugh. And then madness pulled out the fork and he said, There is no one in the rose bush. And he lifted the fork high above his head and with a one, two, he threw it like a spear into the rose bush. It dived down through the top of the roses. The roses moved their heads aside, their petals scattered, and the tines went flying into the rose bush. And there was a cry, a cry, a gasp, and a cry, and a yell, and a shriek from the middle of the rose bush and out of the rose bush came staggering love staggering out stumbling with his hands now over his eyes and everyone in the garden went quiet 
And Magnus said, ha, 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 so now I see you. <laughs> now I found you, found you, love. But no one laughed. There was no applause. There was only silence. And Magnus said, take your hands away from your eyes. But love didn't. And Magnus saw there was a little trickle of blood between love's fingers. He said, take your hands away from your eyes. But love didn't. Love just sank down. Take your hands away from your eyes, love. And Magnus went towards love. And he put his hands onto love's hands. And he drew love's hands away from his face. And he saw that underneath his hands, there where love's eyes should have been, were two red bloody pools. Oh, said madness. What have I done? What have I done? Love, get up. Get to your feet, love. Get up. And he pulled love to his feet. He said, you'll be fine. It, it will be fine. And love said, how will I go around the world? How will I go around the world? How will I spread love around the world if I cannot see? Magnus said, because I'll be there. He said, I will be, I'll, I will be there for you. I will be here, take my hand. Love said, I can't see your hand. Magnus reached forward, took love's hand in his. He said, can you feel it? Feel how strong my hand is? Love, I will never let go. I will be with you always. And that's how it's always been from that day to this. And that's why we say that love is blind and led by madness. Oh, it's certainly a story like that. I can't tell it, you can't tell it exactly the same way every time, you know, it, it, different things have to occur, don't they? Right, let's gather round. Let's gather round. Do you want to do, do, you want to do the intro, actually? Yes! <laughs> Do we know what we're going to say? Here uh, we go. No. So, hello. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm going to say... Um, what am I going to say? Thanks, Nell. Yeah. Thanks, Th Nell. Oh, yeah, thanks, yeah, yeah, Nell. Yeah, thanks, Nell. <laughs> that eight-minute story was 22 minutes. Do you know that? Wicked. Okay. Go. Wicked. <laughs> thanks, Nell. Uh, hello. You are in the room with Sam Ricks... Um, and Tim Carp, who played the lovely music that you heard, and Nell Phoenix, who just told that story that you've heard. Thank you very much, Nell. Um, My pleasure. No worries. Uh, Nell is a very experienced storyteller, um, and we'd... And actually, how did, how did you actually start storytelling, Nell? Let's oh, yeah, right. Oh, this is okay. the first time you've done a podcast, isn't it? 
Oh, you're, for you? Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. How did I get into storytelling? Well, I was an actor beforehand for like 12 years and I did a lot of physical theatre and I did, I did puppetry and stuff like that. The first actual storytelling I ever did was for a shadow puppet show actually for for a lovely company called Madame Suhami and then um Madame what Madame Suhami Madame Suhami yeah it was a shadow puppet company and um they asked me to do storytelling for their shadow puppet company mm. so really exquisite shadow puppets and i absolutely loved it i really i loved it. i'd been acting for so long and um you know, and then it's all about your your shape and your physicality and everything. And the storytelling seemed to me that you could become and be anything within the story. Like, mm. who you were wasn't so important. What you were doing is you were making the images um, for people, creating the images with your words. And in that case, with the shadow puppets. So that was the first time that I sort of moved away from an acting role into a storytelling role. And then after that, I got asked to do um, something. It was for a school. And I went in and they said to me, oh, oh, come in and do something for the children. And I assumed they meant, um, oh, they said, tell a story. And I assumed they meant, like, you know, work up a show in the next week. Because when you've got an actor's head on you, that's kind of what you think. Probably what they meant was come and read a book. Yeah. But that didn't occur to me at the time. So in that week, I worked up my first storytelling show. I didn't know it was a thing. I'd never heard any other storyteller tell a story. And I went into the school and I, I did like a 40-minute piece. And they went, wow, would you like to go into the other schools in the area and do that? And I said, yeah, OK. So when I arrived in the other schools, they said, oh, it's Nell Phoenix, the storyteller. And so it was a it was a word that was sort of given to me, yeah, yeah. yeah before I even thought about this was a way forward. You know, this was a life that I would lead. That was that was eighteen years ago. I've been a storyteller for eighteen years. Oh shit! And yeah, you didn't, you didn't even choose to do it. I I it happened to me. <laughs> yeah, you know, it happened to me. Like the yeah. best things. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. wicked! Yeah. Oh, so when did the when did you start getting involved with? Uh, the Crit Crack Club. All right, so that was maybe. Um, Wait, just a minute. Just for people who, who don't are the know, Crit who Crack are the Crit Crack Club? Club? So, Crit Crack Club are probably the UK's, one of the UK's um, uh, most active producers of storytelling, um, performance storytelling shows. And they curate festivals and um, performances up and down the country and run clubs in London, um, Rich Mix and Soho Theatre mainly at the moment, but in the past have done Barbican and The Forge and um, The Barge House and mm. South Bank. You know, they absolutely, you know, they're the, they're the top, they get the best storytellers and the content of the stories is really important to them. So all the material is traditional material and by that we mean material that would have been in the oral tradition at some point. Even though most storytellers these days are accessing their material through written word. You know, we're not all receiving it from our grandmothers, are we? Some people are. Some people are. There are storytellers in the country. Shanali Cumbers and Pete Chand. You know, they've got um, storytellers or they've got um, cultures and communities that will still pass on stories. But most of us haven't got, haven't got that kind yeah. of heritage, have we? So we're lifting stories up from the page. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're doing. 
Yeah. And you are actively involved in the paper. Oh, yeah, right. Well, yeah, I get loads of work. I yeah. mean, I'm not running it. But, but <laughs> you when, know, did you, when did you join in with okay, them? When did so they come about, into your... Yeah, so I started running um, my the storytelling club down in Kentish Town, Story Night at Torriano, about uh, 11 years ago. And so, yeah, I think that's when Kate and Ben first came along mm-hmm. to Story Night and... Uh, saw me tell because I just do a little short intro at the beginning um, usually and they saw me tell then and um, so I suppose I've been telling for them for about I don't know six years or something five or six years or something like that yeah Mm. yeah Yeah, I first I first saw you at Torriano and for people listening they should go and check out your Torriano show when when is it yeah so it's second Wednesday of every month except August and um, doors open seven thirty. Stories start at eight. And the good, the thing about our club is that um, usually in the first half, I have storytellers from the floor. So sometimes they're really experienced storytellers who want to come out and try out a new ten minute mm. story. And sometimes they're people who've got one story that they want to tell, and they can come along and they can just talk to me as they come in. Pay on the door, you know, we haven't got any online booking. Pay on the door and they can say, oh, I've got an eight, ten minute story and can I tell it in the first half? And, you know, you get you get put on the bill straight away, really you know, nice. so it's that's really good. nice. And it mean, and lots of people then have come up through the club, you know, they, mm. they find their confidence and their love of story through the club. And yeah. then that sets them off on, you know, discovering that world of storytelling. That well, it's, it's that thing, that finding, uh, finding a stage yes. is quite hard sometimes. Yes. And um, and if you can offer that to people, I think that's a really good thing. Well, it's part of our, you know, I I think of the club as being absolute sort of like grassroots storytelling. Yeah. So, for me, the exciting thing is that is having people who maybe they don't want to be professional storytellers, but they really want to tell a story, and there's a platform for that. Or they want to be professional storytellers, and they need a chance to, to you know, create the work and. Connect with the audience. Yeah. You know, we have a great audience. I mean, they're a really fun audience there. And um, and that's important to me. And the shows for the second half, so I book a teller um, who does a one-hour set in the second half. And there'll be a usually a top UK teller, so they come from all over the country mm-hmm. down to the club. And, um, you know, sometimes they'll come to a scratch night. They're working on new material. Quite often, actually. Yeah. They'll come down. So it's always, you know, it's usually exciting. Have you had anyone that's come from, like, never having told a story before, just just as an audience member, and then, you know, now they're kind of on the, on the circuit? Yeah. Or, yeah? Absolutely. Well, you're Sarah Lisa yeah. Wilkinson. You know, oh. she's come up through Story Night at Toriano, and I run training courses as well. So um, Sarah Lisa's been working on her material, and with me... As um, you know, on the on the courses that I run, so I've got five different lots of ten week courses. One you know, one night a week yeah. for ten weeks, and people can really, really form their relationship with the stories and with the way of their working and find their own voices. You know, I like I like training that sort of, you know, drips in an idea and you've got time to work with it and make it your own. And so it's not about this is a style of storytelling. You know, it's not everyone needs to find. It's like being a musician. You've got to find your way of expressing yourself through your music. And each teller has to find their way of connecting with the material 
and connecting with their audience and finding the audience that they want to talk to. It's so one of the hardest. Sorry. I was going to. Is one of one of the hardest things that I'm I'm realizing recently as well is is yeah finding your voice right. because it's the easiest thing to to watch someone else uh, listen to someone else take their words and and regurgitate. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. You might change a couple of things, but that's like the yeah. easiest thing to right. really to really say something. But it doesn't from work. you, yeah, and it doesn't yes. work. People people can sense the rhythms. The rhythms have not been made for your voice. That's mm. right. It's all about the rhythm yeah. and the inflection, and yeah. um, and what works in someone else's mouth just doesn't fuck it. It might be like the accent, just your inflection, your tone, but it just yeah, doesn't. Yeah, the phrasing. I mean, it's the phrasing <coughs> of things that is so individual. When you hear different people sing the same song it's quite often in the phrasing where the breath is yeah and that breath and that phrasing is the musician's connection or the singer's connection with the content of that song you know it's what it's about yeah. for them yeah. isn't it and for a storyteller it's like the words you choose to tell the story is about what you think that story is about you know mm. and and the conversation you're having with the audience so quite often I'll have a chat with someone about something and then I find a story and I think oh that's that was what I wanted to say to that person and what I do is I work up that story and then when I tell that story I put that person in the audience Mm. even if they're not there you know Mm. I think of them at being in the audience and I tell the story as if I'm answering the question with that story Mm. you know and that gives me an immediacy I like it to be live you know I don't like to repeat try and repeat a performance I'm trying to get it right in the moment for that do you consciously do that on every on every story or is it something that you use when you're you know the the placing someone that you know in the audience I don't do it all the time I I do do it quite a bit if I really want to feel connected if I think there's something that is um you know we're always working in a less than perfect room you know with either too many people or too few people in the audience there's always a slightly less because we haven't got designated Mm. spaces for storytelling so Sometimes to really make yourself feel like you've got your feet on the ground in that room, it's quite nice to place someone. Yeah, so I do. I is use it. It's it, like a little. Is there one person that you always use? No, different people. Different people for different <laughs> stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> different people for different right, stories. Right, Delphine. But it really it makes your tone of voice different because you are mm. really talking to somebody. Yeah. You know. It's yeah. uh, we've just had um, this amazing musician visit us. Mm. Um, guy called Adonis Apergis who was playing with us at the oh, birthday. He's lovely a, last night. Yeah, yeah. he's a Greek um, guitar player from yeah. Athens and composer. And his English isn't great, but like one of the first things he said to me, which was like, "Imagine that there's your girlfriend, but don't imagine your girlfriend. Imagine the other girl in the other room that you're thinking." Like basically <gasps> saying exactly the wow, same thing. That's amazing. And like, he said you know, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, think about Play the love and, and yeah. the, the the pain and like just fucking go there. Yeah. And yeah, what better way to do it than with a person? Like, Absolutely. How else? Yeah, and depending on the that? stories that you tell. Yeah. It's, it's like, like my bit... terrible Greek accent, by the way. Oh no, you're forgiven awful. your terrible Greek. I don't Greek. tell the no, but, <laughs> but you're yeah, because you're be dedicating <laughs> you're dedicating your story to somebody then. It's a dedication, isn't it? Yeah. Which is really nice. And the other way of doing it is to make yourself really feel like you're in the room is to really look at your audience. 
So it's really hard when you're in spaces where you can't see them. You know, yeah. if you're on a theatre stage and the lights are just that little bit too bright or they're too low so they're straight in your mm. eyes, especially all these LED lights that we've got, you know, you can't see the audience. Because when you look at someone in the eyes, it changes your tone of voice, yeah. you know, and it feels real and in the moment and the inflection in that sentence has never been that before. Even if you've said those words before, it should be fresh mm. every time it yeah. comes out. But I don't think... I don't think storytelling works without acknowledging the audience that is there. Mm. Like, that's mm. what I quite like about it, is that directly addressing and not pretending to be anywhere else. Like, no, no, no yeah. I'm literally telling a fucking story. Yeah. And I'm going to just bring And you are definitely, you are in the same room as your audience. Yeah, you're in the definitely. same room as your audience. And I, yes. just, I think, man, my favourite times have been when it's just gone a bit crazy. When you know you've got this and you're literally interacting with an audience and there's one that I do where I get the audience to actually come out and take yeah, part in the right. story that's going on around me and like yeah. you know what they end up killing people in it and it's brilliant it's oh, great. Yeah, great. imaginary people not real people yeah. but I just think it's really and as an audience member you know it's, I would love to see that I would love to be that sort of like mm. oh my god mm. what's mm. what the fuck's gonna happen here mm. and there is just that like when there is that madness to to something not even a madness or just like that involvement I just think yeah. it's just And I bet you could tell that story, the same story, and then one night not do that. Oh, yeah. You see, because yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the privileged position of a storyteller, is you don't have to make your audience laugh. You don't have to make them feel sad. You don't mm. have to, you know, make them feel on the side of that hero. You know, any one night the nuance of the story will, will change, and the way you tell it, you, the storyteller, are in sort of you are the safe hands. Mm. So it has to be right for the people who are there at the, mm. at the time, you know. And it's, you're making a contract with them in the moment, like how are they participating tonight? Yeah. Am I on form to make that happen, you know, the participation happen and make it happen really well? Or tonight, that's not the feeling in the room, yeah. you know? So I'm going to tell that same story. And when you get to that bit where you normally make them participate then this night you just take it somewhere else. Yeah. And you can, yeah. because you're a storyteller. It's not, it's not, you know, you're not, you haven't you blocked and it. You as should. A, and, and you, you should. should. And you, you should. should go with how it And that's the delight of it as well. And then it's live and in the moment, mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, a question for you now. Oh, yeah. This was, what do you, what do you love about storytelling? If you love it. Do I? Do you think I do? <laughs> what do I love about it? I just love, I love, I mean, it just reveals who we are, doesn't it? it for me, it is, it's the, what is it underneath our skin? Is it the fascia? The fascia mm. underneath the network un, in our bodies, which everybody has, all creatures, I think, have, it holds us together. And I think that's what the stories do. They hold us. If only we can share stories, it will hold us together. We will find our common humanity. Oh, I'm going off on one now, aren't <laughs> Go I? Go for it. <laughs> I think Go that if it. we share the stories, we discover our common humanity. You know, and there is, yeah. Yeah. That, that is what, and also how, how we have imagined ourselves and how we have imagined the reason for why the world is it as it as uh, is as it is, and why we yeah. are as we are, and all those, all those, all those stories. The pattern of the stories may be the same, but the ways that we tell those stories is sort of infinite. Mm. That's what I love. Mm. 
the job will never be done. Very good. And if you had uh, any words for someone who wanted to discover the storyteller in themselves, yeah, what what would you say, or what would your advice be? Okay, you have to speak it out loud. A storyteller speaks it out loud. So, read your story and start speaking that story out loud. And then as you're speaking the story out loud, get on the northern line, get yourself to Kentish Town, mm. walk up Leighton Road, <laughs> turn left into Torriano <laughs> Avenue, and then speak it from the stage at Story Night. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then if anyone wanted to go to one of your workshops... Yeah, be, yeah, yeah. Well, ...to check be out... the Darth Maul to your Darth Sidious, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, would you, how would they do that? Yeah, well, just get in touch. <laughs> Nell Phoenix, you can find me. You can contact me, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or through my website. Maybe we'll leave, we'll leave a link at the bottom. Of yeah, that would be lovely. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of ways of doing it. Go and see storytelling. Go to the Embers gigs. Brilliant gigs, oh, yeah. you know. Brilliant storytellers. Yeah. Oh, come yeah. Come and see us. Yeah, come and why see why us. Why yeah. you see them? They're quite good. Well, there's, yeah. What are you doing? Cafe Cairo? Cafe Cairo. Where's that? That's Cafe Cairo's in, in Clapham. North. Whereabouts? Whereabouts? I don't know. Just follow in Google Clapham, Maps. All oh right, Clapham, Clapham Cafe North Cafe Cairo, Cairo. Uh, yeah. and then Balabam. Yeah, we have monthly monthly mm. residencies at Balabam and Cafe yeah. Cairo. Yeah, and then the odd show in other places. And then things well. like you do the vaults. We did the vaults. We did the vaults last month Amazing. and the month before. Part yeah, of the theatre festival. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. what other things have you got coming up? But with the vaults, it was more of a. So we did do oh, yeah. we did two different shows at the vault. So one of them okay. we did Beautiful Monsters, which was a, a more traditional storytelling with music. Yeah. Um, but then the second show we did Back to the Woods, we teamed up with um, Grace and Chloe of Stumble Trip Theatre. Yeah, and right. um, Lucy Mangan, who's also part of the Emma's Collective, was involved as well as having the musicians and we made a it was a much more of a theatre type show. Yeah. But still with storytelling. Yeah. It was it was still kind of storytelling story, at, the heart music. Of it. at the heart of it. It's kind of like yeah. music storytelling clowning mm -hmm. silliness mm -hmm. all in one package mm -hmm. yeah we're expanding our yeah we're expanding our creative horizons yeah exactly it's good um maybe let's leave it there i think we're uh I think we're enough. done. Well, Nell, thank you so much for, what a pleasure. for joining us. It's thank always you so me. nice to have thank you. you I hope you can come and do another one at some point. I will. Um, <laughs> maybe, <so> yeah. <laughs> maybe in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Who, knows? Who knows? You've been listening to Tim Cup, Sam Ricks and Nell Phoenix. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to stay in touch. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and keep checking out the podcast. See you soon. Bye. Be well.